Hello, and welcome back to the To the Heights podcast. My name is Olivia Colombo, and I am a young Catholic changemaker embarking on this exciting project of interviewing people who are reaching to the heights in their own lives. We started out at the very beginning of the podcast over a year ago, um, interviewing young Catholic changemakers um, and people who minister to young Catholics. In season three, we've taken a little bit of a different turn. We've titled the season Hope in Humanity and started to interview people who are making a positive impact in the world using their own gifts and talents. This includes environmental activists, um, diplomats, people, all sorts of cool people. Um, Last week was the first episode of Hope in Humanity, and we interviewed Carly Anderson, who runs the biggest service learning organization at Boston College um, for Boston. That was an absolutely incredible um, and just... I smiled so much. A very touching episode. Um, But this week, we have someone who is super cool. This episode is a partnership with the Church of the 21st Century Center at Boston College. Um, Old podcast listeners will remember that almost a year ago, um, we interviewed Karen Kiefer of the C21 Center. Um, She's the director and is just an absolute light and joy. Um, Super cool interview. Since then, I've done a few things for the C21 Center. Um, and this is a collaboration with them, um, as part of this interview and part of this interview that doesn't go in the podcast, um, will end up in written form in their C21 Center magazine in the fall, um, which is super cool. They're doing, um, a, an article on the Catholic Relief Services, um, and this is one of the interviews that will go in it. So... Um, today's guest is Ambassador Ken Hackett. Um, he, I don't even know where to start. He's just so super cool. Um, he was the president of Catholic Relief Services for a long time. He had a bunch of other positions at Catholic Relief Services. Um, most recently, he was the U.S. Ambassador to the Holy See, um, which we talked about a lot, what his daily life actually looked like, what that means. Um, he started out, though, at Boston College. He's a fellow VC alum. Um, he went to the Carroll School of Management, um, and we got to talk a little bit about that. He went to VC at a time that there was fraternities. There are no longer any fraternities or sororities, um, but it was cool to talk about that. He started Club Club Lacrosse at VC, another fun fact. Um, he joined the Peace Corps. He served in Ghana. Um, then he ended up at Catholic Relief Services, had was there for almost 40 years, ended up being the CEO and president, did all sorts of cool adventures and missions and projects there, um, lived and traveled in so many countries, um, and then he became ambassador to the Holy See, um, and had a whole other career there. He has received so many honorary doctorates from so many different, um, Catholic colleges, including Notre Dame, um, he has some of the highest, um, highest honors and awards, um, that the church can give. Since then, um, he is retired in Florida, and it was such a joy to be able to talk about this journey with him, um, and just share in a conversation with someone else who loves, just loves so big, um, has traveled so much, knows the world, um, and is just so curious and passionate and driven. Um, Oftentimes, I feel like we all have a little bit of that spark and that fire in us, 
Um, and it's so good to find another human being who has the same type of fire um, and the same amount of fire as you do. Um, and that you can look up to them and just see their journey and just be excited by the fact that like, maybe I could do something that cool someday. Maybe, um, maybe my journey will look like yours. It will look so different, but it will be beautiful in the same way. Um, those people are definitely what keeps me and so many other people going. Um, so it was an absolute honor and joy to interview Ambassador Hackett. And here is his story of reaching to the heights. All right, I have a very exciting guest with me this week. Would you like to introduce yourself, your name, where you're from, and what your major job titles are? Well, uh, my name is Ken Hackett. I'm retired. I'm living in Florida. I grew up in West Roxbury, went to uh, EC High, and to Boston College. Uh, so I am a Jesuit Boston product. Uh, <laughs> and I don't know whether it should be in that order or not. But. <laughs> um, and then what, what were your major job titles and adventures when you were working? Well, I pursued two different, well, I would say three different avenues. Uh, right out of BC, I joined the Peace Corps. And uh, uh, that's a story in and of itself. Um, <laughs> and went to, uh, I was posted to Ghana. I spent three and a half years working in Ghana and, and very much enjoyed it. And found that uh, I indeed had a calling to um, international humanitarian and development work. So when I came back from Ghana, I thought I would pursue something with maybe um, the UN or CARE or Catholic Relief Services. Mm -hmm. I had had a, a, a brief encounter with Catholic Relief Services when I was in Ghana, uh, but it wasn't that productive. Uh, so I put a third on my list. But anyway, I was living uh, down in Green Harbor in Marshfield. Uh, and come November, I was living in our family house, which had no heat. Mm. It became uh, a little cold. Yeah. And uh, thus, I, I decided to pursue my international dreams and headed off uh, to uh, New York for some interviews. And the interviews were slated first Catholic Relief Services, second CARE, and thirdly the UN. When I got to Catholic Relief Services, uh, I met some very nice people. And they, there and then, offered me a job and yeah. said, would you like to go back to Africa? And I said, I sure would. Mm. And thus began a 40-year career. Yeah. So I retired from Catholic Relief Services in 2012. Um, and in 2013, the White House offered me uh, the ambassadorship to the Holy See. Mm -hmm. So that was my second or third calling. I mean, if you take Peace Corps, Catholic Relief Services, and then the Department of State. Uh, yeah. And now I'm my fourth calling, which is retirement. <laughs> I love that. That's awesome. Um, so I want to hear all of that, all of those. 
but I'm very interested in how, how did you get from Boston College to the Peace Corps? Um, what did you major in at BC? And like, how did you, how do you make uh, that jump? I majored at the, in the School of Management now, but it was called uh, College of Business Administration. Okay. And I belonged to a fraternity called Al Alpha Kappa Psi. And one day, one of my fraternity brothers, Carmen Sano, and I were walking across campus going to the cafeteria. And when we got to the cafeteria, there was a sign for the Peace Corps, sign up for the Peace Corps. And Carmen said, you want to do that? I said, sure, let's do that. Because uh, I had done the interviews with uh, oh, uh, General Motors, GE, et cetera, et cetera. And I just wasn't taken with all of those at that moment. Yeah. Um, come the night of the fraternity dance, the big fraternity dance, mm -hmm. uh, the uh, Carmen said to me, well, uh, well, no, I said to Carmen, Carmen, I got a letter today from the Peace Corps, and they're offering me an assignment in Ghana. What about you? And he said, yeah, I got a letter, but I'm not going to go. Uh, yeah. And he went to GE, and I went to Ghana. <laughs> and that started my international career. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. And interesting that you had fraternities. We don't, we don't have any Greek life anymore. No? no. Well, it wasn't a wild fraternity. I mean... Uh, <laughs> It, it was pretty tame and uh, yeah yeah but maybe for its day it was uh, it was interesting mm. what else were you involved in at bc other than the fraternity uh well i started the uh lacrosse club that's fun yeah uh which uh men's lacrosse i understand has been discontinued or something which uh, yeah yeah there's only club not yeah. varsity well actually club is more fun uh, yeah so I was involved in that and a few other uh, clubs, I forget. In those days, I was a commuter and uh, I had to work to put myself through school. Yeah. So I would finish classes and go to work in a factory in, in West Roxbury uh, mm -hmm. and work all evening uh, and try to do my homework while sitting on the assembly line. Uh, yeah. But that's the way it was. Uh, yeah. So I didn't have a lot of time for many other things, uh, but lacrosse was a passion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm on the tr the club track team, so I oh, also good. agree. Club is good. club is more fun. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah, how do you think going from you went to Catholic school your entire life, right? Yes, uh, I lived uh, 200 yards from St. Teresa's Church. Mm -hmm. We grew up in the parking lot of the church mm -hmm. where we roller skated, played football, uh, later in life learned to bounce a lacrosse ball off the walls yeah. until the priest would come out and chase me away. <laughs> uh, there were the, the parish dances, the CYO, mm -hmm. baseball, basketball, uh, being an altar boy. It was all woven into one. Mm -hmm. uh, it was who you were uh, when you grew up like that in West Roxbury. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, it was who you were. It was part of uh, what you were. Yeah, yeah. How do you think that and, like, the whole Jesuit charism later at BC High and BC, like, how do you think that 
um, contributed to what you chose to do um, and the jump into Peace Corps and then further? Well, now the Jesuits, uh, at least in the high school, have this phrase, uh, a man or a woman for others. Mm -hmm. um, in my day, I never heard that phrase. <laughs> but uh, the fact was that they were all about others and they instilled that, that commitment and passion in, I think, uh, so many of their students uh, and followers that uh, you were not, you were not, uh, you were supposed to be pretty smart and you were supposed to work pretty hard, uh, but you have had to be concerned about others in, in your journey as well. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I like that. And that's definitely, I don't know, we hear that phrase a lot more and it's like on banners around campus. So I think that that definitely influences a lot of people's decisions to do like a post-grad year of service or like JVC or something like that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. Yeah. And I had uh, an uncle who was uh, a passionist priest mm -hmm. and he would bring home some of his colleagues when I was young and we'd hear stories about the Philippines and, and other places around the world. And I think that was captivating. Mm, yeah. So yeah. It, was a, it was a mix. Uh, we didn't have the exposure that you all have now. Uh, I think we had one African kid in the whole school. Wow. Uh, just one. Uh, yeah. so, so you just didn't encounter uh, the international as, as you do now, uh, mm -hmm. where, gosh, you've got students from around the world. Uh, and, and everybody does a junior year at something. Yeah. Uh, so no, we didn't have that opportunity. Uh, mm -hmm. Interesting. Uh, even if, if it was offered, uh, I wasn't in a position to afford it. Uh, mm. So you know, yeah, you, uh, it was a different, little different world in that time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and it's different for the, a different reason now. I'm supposed yeah. to go abroad in the fall, but obviously that's not happening now. No, that's not gonna um, happen. <laughs> yeah, no, I was supposed to go to Jerusalem, but oh, really? I would be in Chestnut Hill <laughs> instead. Oh, wow. Yeah. No, I haven't, I haven't heard how the uh, COVID has uh, affected things in the, uh, in the Holy Land. But I imagine it has really slowed down the, the mm -hmm. uh, pilgrims. Uh, yeah, yeah. Sure. They like locked down their borders pretty quick. Mm -hmm. um, so I probably wouldn't be able to get in even if I still wanted to go. Yeah. So unfortunate, but that's okay. Um, all right. So we talked about the Peace Corps. I want to hear a little bit more about your time at Catholic Relief Services. So how did you, so you got the job in New York, interviewed so for it. I got the job. I was sent to uh, Sierra Leone in West Africa, okay. which um, was a was a a real deep learning experience because uh, I was twenty. I was twenty one. I arrived in Sierra Leone. The program was run by a an Italian priest. It was a program of maternal and child health where there were nurses and mobile teams delivering maternal and child health services around the country. We had a school feeding program for about half the country. There was a very large leprosy control program. Mm. And uh, the priest uh, left after six months and said, take care of things, will you? Uh, so it was a quick 
learning experience uh, mm -hmm. for me in basically management. Yeah. My undergraduates. Uh, and I had great, a uh, great team of, uh, of Sierra Leoneans and uh, dedicated people and we pulled together and uh, kept the program going. So yes. that was the real uh, first learning experience. Uh, I stayed there for three years uh, working on that program. Uh, he came back, he eventually, he, the priest, uh, came back and he took over the leprosy control part of the work and left me with everything else. Uh, so it was, uh, it was, it was really enjoyable. Uh, and, and, you know, trying at times. Uh, yeah. Sierra Leone is a difficult country. It, it, it can be difficult. Uh, difficult country with wonderful people. Mm -hmm. um, I wanted then to go to graduate school. Um, my boss in New York uh, asked me to take over uh, in 1974 the program in Ethiopia, but I thought uh, a year of graduate school would be uh, much more beneficial, so I turned it down. Uh, on Ethiopia and came back to New York, worked as his assistant uh, for seven years in the Africa Regional Office, uh, handling all of the development uh, projects uh, that we funded around the continent. Uh, and eventually in 1978, um, I took over his job. He retired and I became the Africa Regional Director and served as Africa Regional Director for 12 years. Mm. Um, following that, uh, and that was, that was a challenge uh, because we had programs in 20 countries in Sub-Saharan Africa. And uh, I traveled about 60% of my time. Wow. Uh, visiting, uh, holding hands for people who were stressed, et cetera, et cetera. Um, then let's see what happened. Oh, then uh, I asked for a, an overseas assignment and headed to the Philippines, mm. where my first child was born. And uh, then uh, we stayed in the Philippines for five years during the, uh, the presidency of Cory Aquino, which was uh, a somewhat tumultuous time. Uh, there were I think five attempted coup d'etats. Mm. Uh, well, thank God we survived. And, yeah. Uh, so from the Philippines, I was transferred to East Africa, uh, back to uh, uh, a regional position. And that was during the, uh, the Somalia uh, crisis in the early 90s. Uh, and there was also uh, the outbreak of the genocide in Rwanda. Mm -hmm. So that was uh, all part of my background experience uh, until in 1993, I, uh, I took over as CEO of uh, Catholic Relief Services back in its headquarters and served in that uh, position for what, 18 years. Wow. Uh, yeah. And then after 40 years with Catholic Relief Services, I decided to retire. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, and let uh, younger people, smarter people take over and run things. And that's yeah. what has happened. Huh. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot. And how, what was it like to have a family during all of that traveling and moving? Well, um, I hired my wife. She's also from Boston. Yeah. And then I married her. <laughs> You're not supposed to do that. Uh, but it turned out great. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, one of our uh, uh, children is born in the Philippines and one born in Kenya. Wow. Uh, one born in Kenya is just moving to San Francisco to take up a new position with an architectural firm. And my daughter uh, lives in Baltimore uh, and she's a fundraiser. Mm -hmm. And it's wonderful to have a family. Uh, uh, it's... Uh, they are exposed to a range of things that uh, I, growing up in West Roxbury, wouldn't even dream of. Uh, yeah. So um, I don't remember much of it now, but they pretend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Are they each dual citizens in the countries that they were no, born in? No, no, no. In uh, Kenya, I think you had to, uh, I think one of your parents had to be a Kenyan citizen. Ah. I forget what the Philippines. Uh, okay. Interesting. So. Yeah. All right. I have a question from Peter Martin. Um, what are some of your favorite or most effective um, programs or relief efforts that um, during your time at CRS, um, what were some of the most challenging programs, most memorable? I just, I don't know. Well, well one of them uh, most challenging, most memorable, and I believe most effective was the antiretroviral HIV AIDS program. Mm. Um, we bid for uh, a grant from the US government and won uh, the largest uh, grant for antiretroviral distribution. It was $365 million or something like that, working in, I think, 11 countries. But um, at this time, people who I knew, um, who worked with me uh, in Africa, were dying, uh, people would say, of tuberculosis or of this or of that. They were dying of AIDS. Yeah. And the antiretroviral program was like a miracle. It kept people alive. Now, this is before all the new medicine that, that uh, was given. Um, so we were able to uh, support tens of thousands of, of families, single woman families whose husband had died, and now she's contracted the disease, and what's gonna to happen to her kids? Uh, who's gonna take care of them? And to have her come out of the hospital where they were all set for her to die, and she walks out with her own blanket, and she's back, because she's on antiretrovirals, it, that just was a, not just life-saving, but it, it kept families together and, and was so important. Um, that was a very complicated uh, program to run, not so much from the uh, clinical medical part of it, but the relationships. Uh, they, were, they were tough. They were tough relations. Um, the current head of the Center for Disease Control was at that time running uh, the Institute of Human Virology at the University of Maryland, two blocks away from where we were in, in Baltimore. Yeah. And we partnered with him and his team 
to bring the clinical side of the program. And we handled the relationships and the uh, management side of the program and the fiscal side of the program. And there was just always tension with hospitals uh, spread throughout the continent, uh, with ministries of health, uh, with WHO, who felt that they had all the answers. And, uh, oh, it was just one thing after the other, but it was effective and it kept yeah. families together and people alive. Mm-hmm. And so that to me uh, was one of the most memorable. Yeah. Of course, every year there would be a cataclysm of some sort a tsunami, mm-hmm. a Haiti earthquake, uh, one thing after the other, which we would always respond to. Uh, where we could supporting the local church in its its efforts um, to reach out to uh, the community. So that was that too. Uh, those things were important. We were able to garner a lot of resources, which were made available to the local institutions, and that built their capacities and uh, restored dignity and life to uh, hundreds of thousands of people. Yeah. Yeah, that's very beautiful. Um, how did you? And then there was a whole. Uh, let me just go. There oh. was a whole other side of CRS, mm. which was the long-term development programs, okay. self-empowerment programs, programs for women, and uh, microcredit, agriculture programs, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, a rather broad array of things. So, uh, my. My task, I would say, as the leader, was to find the best, smartest people I could mm. and let them go and do their work yeah. and support them mm. uh, and encourage them. And that, that I think, was uh, an ingredient for success. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Yeah, it's very, like, parable of talents-ish that, like, everyone has their own unique, like, mm. no one person can do the job. You just have to find the most capable people to do their part of what they're good at. That's true. You also have to have a culture um, Mm. that supports that. And people have to understand what it is that the institution is made of and believes in. And uh, we were were very blessed at at one point in time. We were wandering when I took over as uh, CEO. We weren't sure who we were. Mm. Were we a development agency? Were we really Catholic? What, what, what were we? What, yeah. what motivated us? And uh, I had a close friend. I have a close friend who uh, is uh, a priest of the uh, Archdiocese of Boston and uh, a brilliant uh, professor at Harvard uh, who agreed to come a couple of days a week down to Baltimore and help us find our identity, who we really were. And, and particularly, what was this thing, Catholic social teaching? Yeah. And what, what did an institution like us of 5,000 people in, in 100 countries around the world, how did this all fit together? Yeah. Uh, special option for the poor? Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was this thing about right relations? Mm-hmm. Uh, it was all, so he was instrumental, Father Brian Hare in guiding us uh, through through an institutional transformation, in a way. Uh, mm-hmm. At Catholic Relief Services, of the 5,000 staff, most were non-Christian. Yeah. 
Interesting. So, uh, well, if you're going to find the best engineer in yeah. Pakistan, you yeah, true. find the best engineer. Yeah. Uh, but then you had to convey to both Christian and non-Christian what we were about. Mm-hmm. And this uh, understanding of Catholic social teaching was extremely helpful in that regard. And then, uh, then the fact that there was, uh, there was an organization of the church well, what did that mean for the Jewish staff? Yeah. Well, you have to show what it means. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we tried to ingrain not only the best talent that we could find uh, doing the best work they could, but doing it with a uh, philosophical underpinning that people can really understand and, and uh, grab onto. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I like that. And Father Brian Hare is just an amazing guy. Um, I've, I'm a correspondent for the pilot, the Boston pilot, and um, I've reported on the um, social justice convocation that they started, Uh um, Uh I don't know, 10 years ago, um, which is just an awesome event and is so good and so needed. Yes, Uh, yes. And uh, he's uh, just a wonderful, wonderful friend and and, a brilliant individual. Yeah, yeah, for sure. and I've been thinking, maybe maybe he's the right person, but I've been thinking about doing a podcast episode um, this season of the podcast. I've been doing it for over a year now, um, but this particular season, we're hoping to do a little bit more like social justice, Catholic social teaching focused um, Ooh, episodes. Um, and I feel like not an, like not enough Catholics know about like the principles of Catholic social teaching or like preferential option for the poor and vulnerable. Like nobody. I don't know. Like people need to know about that. Yes, um, yes. So I feel like there should be an episode that like we dive into each of them or something like that. Um, Cause they're so important. And I don't know, I, I took like a social justice class in high school and I remember being super pumped up and being like, why does nobody know about this? <laughs> like we need to be doing these now. That's um, right. Yeah. True. True. Yep. Yeah. Um, so I have a question about how, how did your faith tie into all of this? Um, and especially were there times when your faith was kind of shaken or I don't know, were you ever overwhelmed by like the amount of like darkness and problems and just the amount of things that needed to be done in the world? And how did your faith kind of guide you through that? Um, I once met this nun, uh, from Texas. She came to Rome actually, um, just a wonderful, uh, a, a deeply uh, motivated and practical uh, person who was working along the border. And she came for this conference uh, that we were holding about women religious uh, in action. Um, and somebody asked her the same question. Yeah. Uh, what, how does the faith uh, motivate you? And her answer was brilliant, I thought. She said, uh, oh, the faith part is easy. It's the religion that's tough. And that's true. I mean, think of all the rules there are. Uh, uh, But, I mean, you grow up believing certain things that that your faith teaches, and they become part of you, as far as I'm concerned. But then, you know, change a rule about I mean, something silly is meat on Friday. I mean, 
there are so many rules yeah. uh, that you have to have to follow. Uh, and, and people get, some people get very hung up on the rules. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, uh, you're not really a Catholic if you don't do A, B, C, or D. Uh, so to me, um, the faith part of it was easy, as she said. Uh, now, working and heading up a, an organization of the American uh, bishops, Catholic Relief Services, that brought with it complexities uh, that are rather unique. I mean, it was a big management task, yes, with 5,000 employees in 100 countries. But there were additional layers uh, that one had to negotiate and find paths through that uh, that uh, another organization wouldn't wouldn't be hung up on those kind of things. So you had to reconcile uh, all of the, the the fact that Catholic Relief Services, at least, was not just a faith-based organization, but an organization owned by the Catholic bishops in the United States. Yeah. That added another layer. Yeah. And uh, it was very interesting. Halfway through my tenure as CEO there, I was able to bring lay people onto the CRS board mm -hmm. and expand the size of the board. So you had bishops and lay people, men and women, on the board. And that created a, a wonderful energy. Uh, mm -hmm. Uh, that that really uh, advanced the organization uh, mm. in a way. Yeah, yeah. I think that's so important. Um, I, I feel like the young people of the church, especially right now, are advocating for more like lay leadership in that kind of way. Mm -hmm. um, because if you think about it, like you're missing out on by only having like a small subset of the population, like bishops, be ones like making efforts like that, um, you're missing out on like so many of the time and talents and like sure. ideas of the rest of the population. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's awesome. That's so good. Um, all right. So I want to hear a little bit about your time as ambassador to the Holy See. Um, what did your daily life look like? What, what was that like? What did you do? Um, I don't know. Mm. I'm really interested. No, it's, um, it was a, a wonderful uh, appointment um, and, and one of the things that made it wonderful is that uh, I encountered people in Rome that I had met in Eritrea, in Sri Lanka, in uh, Bolivia. Uh, so they would all pass through run, uh, you know, priests, bishops, nuns, uh, and lay people. Uh, and so that was a, a wonderful experience, and, mm -hmm. and uh, part of the job of uh, an American diplomat, and particularly the ambassador, is to collect information, learn things, uh, and feed it into the bigger mosaic, which will help make policy. Mm -hmm. uh, so when somebody from uh, Sri Lanka came through, uh, oh, my better, better example is we hosted one night a, uh, a group of uh, Benedictine priests and nuns uh, who formed a special study group on China. Most of them were Chinese. Yeah. Uh, and 
they knew lots of stuff uh, <laughs> and shared it um, openly with, uh, with us. Uh, and that was the kind of thing you do on a daily basis. Yeah. Um, you, you get, uh, as part of your job, the um, headquarters at the State Department of Washington would ask, can you get the Vatican's opinion on A, B, or C, something in Burundi, something on nuclear disarmament, something on uh, climate change? Uh, what's going to happen? Is, is the Pope going to release a letter on climate change? Uh, and then bang, Laudato Si comes out. Well, uh, everybody uh, in the uh, appropriate offices of the Obama administration wanted to have input into the the Pope's writing of that uh, letter. Mm -hmm. So um, I would get phone calls saying, well, I'd like to come and talk to the Pope about uh, climate change. Well, uh, that didn't happen, but uh, yeah. those, are, those are kind of things. Or um, like nuclear nonproliferation, that was a big issue. Uh, we had to have people come out from Washington to relate, because I don't know anything about nuclear nonproliferation. And uh, uh, so we brought people out uh, to speak to those in the Vatican who were responsible for things like that. Um, so there were, there were geographic issues, country level issues, uh, what was going on in Burundi in terms of uh, uh, human rights abuses, uh, what was going on in uh, uh, the Philippines, on uh, this, that, and the other thing. Uh, then there were uh, generic issues uh, like climate change, uh, human rights writ large, uh, and then there were just personal interchanges. Uh, the, uh, I had uh, Vice President uh, Biden come twice, I think. Uh, and so your role as ambassador is to be with that level of visitor when they go to the appropriate offices that you set them up with. So mm -hmm. that's what we did with uh, Vice President and with others, with Secretary Terry, with uh, uh, General Allen, who read, uh, led the coalition uh, in Syria. Uh, so because the uh, people of the Holy See, some officers, did, what is your objective in Syria? What is the United States trying to do in Syria? Uh, so it's better to bring those most knowledgeable out from Washington to explain it rather than to just to repeat uh, an email that you received. Yeah. It was a, it was a busy day. Yeah. Uh, days would go um, sometimes two or three meetings at the Vatican with different offices uh, on different topics. And then there are, as I said, there are always visitors. Mm, yeah. And then you meet with um, your own staff every day uh, and make sure everybody's on the same page. And, uh, so Peter was my political officer, a very brilliant one. Uh, and uh, so we would decide, all right, uh, Peter, we've got to deal with this cable on whatever. Uh, why don't you go and see someone at, at that office at the Vatican, Cardinal Turkson? something like that, uh, and I'll go and do something else, spread the workload around. Yeah, yeah. Peter asked a question that I think is interesting. 
Um, he wanted to know if there's anything that you learned during your time in Rome that you had wished that you had known during your time at CRS. The interworkings of um, the Holy See, uh, I, I knew something about, but not much, because they are very arcane. Uh, the decision-making processes are not the same as we would adopt or we adopt uh, in the United States. Uh, you stay in your lane more uh, in the Vatican. Uh, they will say, well, that is not in my ambit. <laughs> well, I had to look up what the word ambit meant. Yeah. Uh, uh, but people really do stay in their lane and, and try not to cross over and get in other people's way. Uh, and you have to be respectful of that. They also do things that they have been doing for a long time, yeah. uh, like centuries. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, you have to understand some of that yeah. uh, and how people are trained. Uh, because, for instance, uh, the training of diplomats is very intense. They're diplomats, uh, and they all have the same training. Uh, it's not like one comes out of Harvard Kennedy School and another comes out of uh, the Fletcher School. No, no, they all come out of the same training. Uh, so you've got to understand that. Um, what I found another important uh, thing in Rome is that the, um, the mother houses of all the religious women's communities are based in Rome. Well, I knew that, but I didn't realize what it meant. So you could find out an immense amount of information by just going and meeting with the Sisters of the Holy Union uh, Superior and ask, well, what about uh, what's happening in Central African Republic? You have people in there. Uh, or the, uh, the mother houses for uh, the men religious too. Uh, I remember one of the first meetings I sponsored uh, a breakfast about a week after I arrived in, uh, in Rome and I invited uh, three old friends together to breakfast, uh, three Americans, one a Jesuit for Jesuit refugee services, uh, one a uh, Marist, I think, brother, and the third, uh, a Franciscan. Mm. Okay. The topic of the breakfast was going to be uh, Syria. What's going on inside Syria? Yeah. They had never talked to each other. They all had people inside Syria. Yeah. And to be able to share their experiences confidentially, they found immensely valuable. And uh, those kind of things uh, were part of the day-to-day -day work of an ambassador. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I love that. Like connecting people. Yeah, just connecting people. Yes. So yeah. right now I'm working with uh, uh, the Archbishop of Asmara in Eritrea, who's stuck here in um, just outside of Washington, D.C. Mm -hmm. He's living with a group of uh, Eritrean nuns. He stuck because he was traveling in the States and then all of a sudden the COVID hit mm -hmm. and his country closed down. Yes. He can't get back in. Yeah. Uh, and um, 
it was wonderful when he first passed through Rome that I could see him again after about five years. Mm. And he was the one that told me about one of his priests who um, was actually put up for the Nobel Peace Prize. Mm. This priest, uh, uh, Father Musi, took care of the refugees that were stuck in Libya and tried to get them. Those are the ones that uh, the Pope highlighted as they came across the Mediterranean and they landed in Lampedusa, the island just off Sicily. Uh, and then they would come to Italy uh, and the Pope went to Lampedusa. Well, this priest had been working with them uh, to such an extent that uh, when these refugees were put into jail, on the wall of some of the cells was this priest's telephone number in Italy. And they would call, he would send them money or something yeah. like that. Uh, and to uh, when uh, Archbishop Mengustad uh, came to Rome, he introduced me to this, this priest. And then I was able to introduce this, this priest to many of the other ambassadors yeah. uh, from France, and the UK and Germany and Ghana and, uh, and so you develop the connections because uh, mm -hmm. they didn't know about this priest and uh, then they find that the priest is put up for the Nobel Peace Prize. Yeah, yeah, so cool. So many, I don't know, what are some of your favorite like people that you have encountered? Like I'm sure you've, you mentioned some presidents and um, higher up people in the U.S. Who are some of your like favorite famous people that you've met? That's kind of a fun question. I'm thinking of, um, I wish I could show you, but I'll have to get up. Uh, one time while I was in Rome, the Ghanaian ambassador, who I was friendly with because uh, you know, we knew the same uh, context and environment in Ghana. Uh, he said to me one day at a, at a reception, oh, I have to tell you that the Ashantahini is coming. Ashantahini is the, the paramount chief of the uh, Ashanti people in Ghana, about 8 million Ghanaians, mm. very uh, prestigious uh, position, uh, traditional position. And I said, oh, that's terrific, Ambassador. What a wonderful thing and a wonderful honor for you that the Ashantahini is coming to see the Pope. And he said, oh, well, he's a golfer. And I don't know anything about golf. And I said, well, I know a little about golf. I'm not a very good golfer, but I'll take him out. Mm -hmm. And so um, one day, uh, while Ishantahini was there, we went out for an afternoon of golf. Mm -hmm. And the American ambassador always has a heavy security around him. Well, Ishantahini does too. Mm -hmm. So think of the picture of myself and the Ashantahini in the golf cart with the bodyguards in four other ball, golf carts rolling down the fairway. That's awesome. <laughs> and then that night, I mean, he, he just had a polo shirt like this, and, yeah. uh, just a golfer, uh, mm -hmm. you know, a very nice guy and, uh, and a good golfer. And that night he hosted a reception and uh, he came with his wife uh, in his traditional costume, mm -hmm. the cloth and with the crown, the gold rings on every finger. His yeah. wife was bedecked. 
and somebody carried a uh, an umbrella over him uh, to the to the dinner. Uh, it was just a uh, such a contrast from the polo shirt on the yeah. golf course to the uh, paraphernalia for the uh, official mm. dinner. So yeah. That that was just a fun. Uh, yeah. Thing yeah. We did. That is fun. But it was a it was it was also fun to um, bring out notables from uh, Washington and participate uh, with them at, at pretty high level meetings. Uh, I mean, I can remember the meeting uh, when Secretary Kerry told uh, the Vatican Secretary of State uh, what was going to happen in Cuba. Mm -hmm. And that was not, that was pretty secret. Uh, and all of a sudden it happened. And, uh, you know, we changed our posture after about 60 years in, in Cuba. Uh, that was just brilliant. And, and other meetings like that, uh, the, the secretary of uh, uh, EPA, Environmental Protection Agency, the administrator of the uh, is was Gina McCarthy from West Roxbury, mm. uh, and so she came out one time uh, right after La Dato C was released, and we had a wonderful visit because there were people in the Vatican who wanted to tap her brains on environmental issues, and, and she wanted to know where they were headed right yeah. before the Paris climate uh, meeting. Mm. So those were a couple of fun. Yeah. Uh, times yeah yeah all very fun um all right i have two last questions before we wrap up um the first one is in your opinion what do you think are the most pressing issues that relief organizations should be focusing on and um is that different for a faith-based relief organization versus secular i i believe that um many relief and, and human development organizations are wrestling with their identity. Mm. What are we really about? Is it about us or is it about the people that, that we're supposed to be working with? Um, so that's one. The second is uh, for Catholic Relief Services, we had a long history of working with the local Caritas agency in Namibia, in, uh, in Indonesia, et cetera and building their capacity. In fact, we started many of them back in the 50s. And so now they have, have to bloom on their own. Uh, and encouraging that local initiative is uh, really important. And, and, and building more local initiatives, supporting them and letting them go, uh, that was one thing that CRS uh, tried to do in many cases, and other agencies are going to have to face that as well. And I'd say the last thing for a faith-based organization is uh, be true to yourself. What are you about? Uh, what does your, your religion uh, say to your actions? And then what does your faith say to your actions? And, and put that in an organizational model that works, uh, yeah. whether you're Lutheran World Relief or... Uh, Church World Service or Catholic World Services. Uh, you can weave the, the elements uh, of what you believe uh, and hold true together. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, my last question is, 
looking back at your whole journey, um, what advice do you have for a young person like me who has a passion for social justice? On my wall over there is my rejection letter from Catholic Relief Services in 1971. Mm. Uh, they said I, I wanted too much money because I suggested $6,500 uh, as my salary. Uh, I was, we can't afford that. Uh, and then basically I got rejected. Yeah. But I didn't give up. Mm-hmm. I knew that they had something I wanted. Uh, and so don't give up because yeah. you will get rejected. Uh, stay with it. Stay true to yourself. And, uh, you know, just keep, uh, keep focused on, uh, on what you want, what's going to make you a better person. I, I struggled, uh, my wife and I struggled with that with our son who just finished his graduate school, three years of graduate school uh, for architecture uh, in May. Mm-hmm. So then the question became, he wanted to take a job with a very prestigious firm in Manhattan. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Manhattan was closed. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, and so he stuck with it, stuck with it, stuck with it. Uh, the firm in Manhattan did come uh, after him eventually, uh, but he, he just took a job with a very prestigious firm in San Francisco uh, that was similar to the one in Manhattan. And he just kept saying, well, stick with it. Yeah. You know what you want, stay with it. Mm-hmm. He did. Uh, yeah, so. for sure. There you are. Uh, and then lastly, I'd say, say a prayer and jump. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah. All right. This has been such a good, such a good interview. Um, I'm so excited for this podcast to come out. Thank you so, so very much to Ambassador Hackett um, for this beautiful conversation. Um, And thank you all so, so much for listening to this interview. Um, keep an eye on all of our social media at To The Heights CTV or head over to the Church in the 21st Century Center's social media and keep an eye out for um, this interview that will be in print form and a little bit different um, with some other added bonuses in their fall edition of the magazine, which I am super excited to be working on. Um, Trying to think what else I have for announcements. As always, um, this is a production of the Grexley Podcast Network. Um, and we, you can find all of the Grexley podcasts at grexley.com as well as our Patreon, um, and our merch shop. Um, crazy, crazy makes me feel so official. (laughs) Um, but if you want to support this mission of this particular podcast, um, and all of the podcasts, feel free to head over there. We would be so very grateful. In addition, the To The Heights podcast is looking for sponsors, um, So if you know anyone who would be willing to sponsor an episode, um, either on social media or an episode itself, feel free to reach out. If you have any guest recommendations as well, that can also be found on our page on grexley.com. Um, all right. My only little, little note that I was thinking about so much, and I think just ties in so beautifully, um, Ambassador Hackett's point at the end of say a prayer and jump, I think is so important, um, And I feel like, especially in Catholic media, um, you see so often these polished, like, the Steubenville Conference speakers, 
um, and things like that, or even, even myself that, um, we're just, we're doing so much. We are, I don't know, there, there's a false representation and a false mask that we are always capable, always never nervous, um, for interviews or anything like that. Um, and I did want to highlight that I definitely employed his say a prayer and jump. There was a moment, um, there's always a moment right before recording a podcast where you're like, I cannot do this. Like, I, I'm so nervous. I'm not capable of this. I am not good enough. Um, you have to say a prayer and jump. I'm a big advocate, um, someone who is in the mental health community of DBT, which is dialectical behavioral therapy. Um, and there are just so many skills that are mind over matter. Um, just do it and everything else will follow. Um, it's all about mindfulness, but also at the same time, you just need to shut your brain off and do it sometimes. Um, so whatever mountain you are trying to climb right now, um, I definitely encourage you to take Ambassador Hackett's, um, advice of saying a prayer and jump, just jump, just do it. Um, and know that all of us at CTV and Grexley and Two Heights are praying for you to climb those mountains and to do those things. And let us know what those are for sure. Um, this has been a beautiful start to season three of just sharing good stories. Um, beautiful stories of beautiful people and the human condition um, that I'm just so inspired and fueled by for sure. And we would love to share in you with all of that. So, I think that is all that I have um, for now. As always, you can find us on social media at To The Heights CTV. Um, that's Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can find me at Olivia Rose underscore art or OliviaRoseArt.com. All right, talk to you next week and keep on reaching to the heights. <laughs>